going to be in the book of Hebrews chapter 12, and um, I think tonight we're going to do primarily verses, uh, I think verses 3 through 16 tonight. I think we can cover that much, but we'll just see what we get. If we don't, ain't no big deal, right? All right, so um, Hebrews chapter 12. Just for context, let's read from verse 1 all the way through verse 16 just to get a, get a bigger picture of it. Alright, so in verse 1 of chapter 12 it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and lay aside every sin that clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So consider Him who endured from sinners such hostility against Himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you've not resisted to the point of shedding your blood, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the one whom He loves, and He chastises every son whom He receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? And if you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But He disciplines us for our good, that we may share His holiness." For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no, quote, root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. See to it that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. All right. So somebody tell me if you had to pick out what is the main point? I mean, what is what does this author really want his audience to do when he writes this? Stay true to God. 
Okay? All right, so understand that God disciplines His children. Anybody else? When disciplined, don't lose heart. Okay, look beyond the trial. Anybody else? Okay. Okay, there you go. And, I, and, and that's exactly right. Um, he, he wants you to know that. If I were to pick out the big idea here, and the truth of the matter is, you could go with any of those in your study. But one of the things that I like to do when I'm trying to study a section of Scripture, first off, I'm trying to make sure I understand what this section is doing in light of the whole book. And y'all see us do that every Wednesday night. We try to walk through to understand this is what the author is doing. Now, one of the things that we found last week was that whenever we went to chapter 10, go back here with me for just a minute. Chapter 10, verse starting in verse 32. This, this is one place that helps me get the big idea. What is it that this guy, this author is trying to get across to me? All right. In chapter 10, verse 32, it says this. But recall the former days, when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. So we got a group of people here that right after they were saved. <laughs> now that's not coincidence, is it? Right after they were saved, guys. I mean, they, they trust in Christ by faith, and right after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Alright, keep going. Verse 33. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. Sometimes you were partners with those that were treated that way. And how many of you know that a lot of times it's harder to watch your partner to go through it than it is for you to go through it yourself? Alright, now keep going. Uh, for you had compassion on those in prison. And here he's talking about people that were being in prison for their faith. All right, You had compassion on the ones that were in prison. And you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding, and an abiding one. So in other words, their property was being plundered. What does it mean? What does that mean? Taking everything they owned away from them. And again, all of this is because of their faith. And then, keep going with me in verse 35. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. What's this author worried about? Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't go back. And that remember, in light of the whole book, that's what he's been looking at. Because of the suffering that these people were enduring, many of them were tempted to say, <laughs> you know what? I've started believing in Jesus and look all what's happening. And what does, that, what does that tempt you to think as a new believer? Apparently, this is not the right path, right? And so they're tempted to think to themselves. You remember the parable of the souls? Remember when Jesus told the parable of the souls? Some of it fell on. Uh, the way and the birds came and ate it. 
Some of it fell on rocky ground. Some of it fell on thorny ground and the thorns grew up and grew around it. Well, those seeds that fell on the thorny ground were those, he, Jesus explains the parable and He said they were the ones that they received the Word of God and immediately they received it with joy. But then the troubles and persecutions that arose on account of the Word is what it says. So because of the Word, troubles and persecutions arose and it choked out the Word. And so ultimately what you're seeing here is an example of those that after they believed, persecution arose, troubles arose, Satan started attacking, right? And as a result of that, they are being tempted to think, you know what, I was better off following God in the old way. And so now they're starting to drift back toward Judaism. And now this author comes in and says, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Y'all need to understand some things. You need to understand some things about Jesus and who He is. You need to understand some things about endurance. Don't quit, don't quit, don't quit. That's the reason why He says in verse 35 of chapter, or verse 36 of chapter 10, for you have need of endurance. What is endurance? Lasting. Perseverance. Keeping on, keeping on, even whenever you don't think you can go anymore, right? Alright? You have need of perseverance, of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. In other words, if you don't endure, will you receive? No. It is the endurance of the saints that God rewards. The obedience of faith. And faith proves genuine because genuine faith endures. Alright? That's the point of the author. So by the time you get to chapter 11, the simple thing, I'll sum it up one statement. Let me give you so many examples of people that endured. They trusted God. They endured. Then by the time you get to chapter 12, he, he follows up this statement again. And he says, therefore, since we're surrounded by all these witnesses that endured, here's what I want you to do. Let us also lay aside the things that keep us from running. In other words, whatever it is that weighs you down, that keeps you from enduring in your race, from running your race, set it aside. It's not worth it. Lay aside the sin that clings so closely to you if it keeps you from running. So again, here's the main point. If I'm looking for a big idea to figure out what this author is talking about, and all the things you said are correct, but they're kind of sub-points to what he's talking about. His main concern for you and I, don't quit. Keep on keeping on. Don't stop. Don't let anything stop you from running the race that is set before you. You have need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Alright? Now with that being said, we get to uh, verse... Uh, let's just go ahead and go through the first few verses of 12. Look at uh, verse 2. Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So here he says, look away from the sin that, or the weights or the things that tend to um, keep you from it. In their case, it was the suffering, right? The suffering is what was tempting them 
to go back and to quit. So he says, look away from that. Do like Jesus did. Jesus, He looked away from the suffering. He disregarded it. He despised the shame is what it says. And He looked to what? What did He look to in order to finish the race in verse um, 2? Huh? That's right. Who for the joy that was set before Him. He looked away from the suffering and He looked toward the joy that was coming. Paul did the same thing. You remember in Romans chapter 8 where Paul said, I, I consider that the sufferings of this present world are not even worthy to be compared with the joy that is coming. Paul did the same thing. And that's the same thing you and I have to do, is we have to follow the example of Jesus. He looked away from the suffering and He looked toward the joy. His focus was never on the temporary, His focus was on the eternal. Alright? And so, He despised the shame and He endured the cross. So there you see the endurance of faith. And no, no better example, the greatest example than Jesus, who was the, um, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. And so, verse 3, we get to where we picked off last week. And He says, here's what I want you to do. Considering. What does it mean to consider something? Think about it. Think deeply into it. Look deeply into it. So consider Jesus. Let's see what He endured. He endured from sinners such hostility against Himself. He endured it. Suffering. Hostility. So what does He want you to think about that? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And then so keep, keep following his train of thought. The reason he wants you to consider the hostility that Jesus endured, and you got to sit back and now think about what kind of hostility did Jesus endure? So here's the author wants you to take some time. So a good thing to do if you were studying on your own, what I would recommend you do, stop right here. And I would start thinking about the hostility specifically that Jesus endured from who? That's right, the sinners. That's the key thing. He's talking about the hostility that He endured from other people. Because remember, these Hebrews are having to endure hostility from people that are coming in and taking everything they own. What are you going to do? Let me ask you a question. What are you going to do if somebody knocks on the door and wants to take your guns? <laughs> I mean, you want to see the South rise again? What do you think is going to happen? I mean, I'm serious now. I'm serious. Now, that's just one example. If that's what you're going to do when all they're going to do is come and take your guns, what are you going to do when they come and take everything you own? Well, that's a good question. You can fight. You can. No, that's right. That's exactly right. There's me a Second Amendment guy right there. That's what I'm talking about. And I agree with you. I do. I agree with you that, yes, I'm not saying lay down and be a doormat to everybody. 
But the point being is this. These guys were having to endure people that were coming and taking everything, and again, because of their faith. But I do believe that eventually we're going to see that coming. And the question is, how are we to respond to that? Well, we endure first and foremost. We'll look at, and then to, to understand it is to consider how Jesus responded to it and what Jesus did. Jesus said, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. But my kingdom is what? Now again, these are some things. Here's the point. We meditate on the Word of God is what we're supposed to do, right? This would be one to stop and chew on for a while. Consider Him who endured from sinners such hostility against Himself. But now here's the point that He's trying to get across. So that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. How is it that if you consider Jesus and the hostility that He endured from sinners, how is it that you meditating on that is going to keep you from growing, what do you say? Weary or faint-hearted? What is weary and faint-hearted? What do you think he's saying right here? What, is, what does it mean to grow weary? You're tired. You know how many, how many teachers and pastors and servants of the Lord that they just get tired? In this application, you're exactly right. But I think what he's talking about here is even to the point of growing weary. Because what you're going to read here in a few minutes, he's going to talk to those people that are growing weary and he's going to say, hey, lift your drooping hands. Strengthen your weak knees. You remember what? I think it was Isaiah um, 40, 40-ish. He said, um, those that wait on the Lord will what? Renew their strength. They shall mount up with like they shall run and not grow weary, not faint. Alright? They shall be like youths. So there again, I think, and that's a promise. Alright? That's a promise that you can claim from the Word of God. You know, the truth of the matter is, I hope and I pray that I will preach my dying breath or teach my dying breath or serve my dying breath serving the Lord. I hope I do. I hope I do. But there are many people that get weary and just quit. There are many people that just get weary and just spend the rest of their service drooping. Alright? But think about what he's saying right here. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. What's the difference in the two? What's the difference in growing weary and being faint-hearted?
Mm, I, I would say, what does it mean to faint? Pass out. What do you know when you pass out? What can you do when you pass out? So what do you think he means when he says faint-hearted? In other words, I think he's deciding between two things here. I feel like, and again, I, I, I could be interpreting this wrong, but I think there's a reason why he uses both of these words. He says, don't grow weary or faint-hearted. I think he's saying on the first hand, I don't want you to grow weary. I want you to consider, especially grow weary from sufferings of this world, right? So I want you to keep focusing on the joy and no matter what suffering you have to endure, you're always looking away from that. You're always looking toward the joy, right? Because that's how Jesus endured, our greatest example, right? And then when you go back to Hebrews chapter 11, that's how they all endured. They looked away from the suffering and always looked toward the joy that was set before them. All right. So I want you to do that. And then I want you to consider the hostility from sinners that Christ endured. And as you consider that, it should lead you to not grow weary. And it should lead you to not grow faint-hearted. In other words, I believe he's talking about here quitting. Quitting. That's what it means, I believe, to faint heart. In other words, you just lose heart. You give up heart. And you start going backwards. That's correct. That's correct. So consider Jesus. Look deeply at Him, especially the hostility that He endured from sinners. And it should give you what you need to not grow weary or faint-hearted. So again, here's the main point. Don't quit. Keep running your race. You have a race to run. You have a will of God to complete in your life. There is a service for you to serve in. Don't grow weary. Don't quit. If, if, if No matter what it is that you do, I pray that you spend your dying breath doing it, serving the Lord. Serving the Lord with everything you have. And, and, and there would be no better life to offer the Lord than a life well lived for Him. Verse 4. Here, He just gives what I would say is a, um, a little... Um, I don't know how to describe this. Well, I'm going to read it and then you tell me what he's doing. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. That's right. That's exactly right. You've not even resisted to the point of having to shed your blood yet. And that's true for us, right? That's right. Thank you. Thank you. And I didn't know how to put it. But to, in a sense, he's... What? He said, you're a lightweight. <laughs> yeah. In a sense, he just said, don't be a sissy. <laughs> I mean, really. Really, that's exactly what he's saying right there. In your struggle against sin... You've not even yet resisted to the point of shedding. In other words, don't quit so easy. 
Yet, have you ever looked at somebody and thought to yourself, boy, it sure didn't make much to make them quit? There you go. Thank you. That's exactly what he's trying to get across right here. Is only th- he's not saying that what they've suffered has not been suffering. He called it in chapter 10 a hard struggle, didn't he? With sufferings. He's not saying it's not been a hard struggle. He's not saying it hasn't been real suffering. It has. But the point being is up to this point, the only thing we've really looked at in suffering is materialistic things. What's going to happen if... If you can't keep in the race when just material things happen to you, what's going to happen when you have to shed your blood for this? And so he's really really making you think right here about staying in this race, about keeping with it. Verse 5, And, so now I'm going to add to it, not only do I want you to look at it from that point, but consider this. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? So let's look at what this exhortation is that He wants us to remember. Here it is. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when you're reproved by Him. So what's He saying here? What's He he telling these Hebrew people? That's right. That's right. That's right. And everything you're experiencing in this suffering is really what? The discipline of the Lord. Now that's important because I spent some time on this this evening. Because on the one hand, I'm thinking, discipline is what you receive when you've been bad. Right? But on the other hand, you're going to see that what this author is actually talking about is discipline is also what you receive when you're being trained when you're being taught. And so what we're seeing here is that God is the one that is actually allowing the plundering of their goods. God is the one that's actually allowing some of them to be in prison, to be reproached, to be afflicted. Yes, sir. Yeah. Right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, he, he allowed you to be treated in such a way that it trained you to endure. And, and, and I have so much respect for the 
Amen. Right. All right. That's right. Right. Lightweights. Yeah. That's right. And and that's going to be the point of this author here in a minute is he takes you back to fathers and the way fathers discipline. He said, listen, if you receive it from fathers and then later in life see what it did for you, why in the world would you not receive it now from God instead of just quitting? All right? So let, let's keep reading it. He says, here's the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. So don't regard it lightly. And then don't be weary when the discipline of God comes. And here's why. Because the Lord disciplines the one whom He loves. And He chastises every son whom He receives. Alright? So verse 7. So, it is for discipline that you have to endure. It is because of this discipline that you have to endure. And then He keeps saying why. Because God is treating you as sons. So in other words, be thankful for the suffering, ain't he? That's a hard thing to take right there, but he's going to explain it as he goes on. But he says, don't let the suffering make you quit. Be thankful for the suffering, because if you suffer, the truth of the matter is, God's treating you as sons. If your faith is being tested to the point of making you want to quit, God is treating you as sons. And so, keep reading with me in verse um, 7. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? And if you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. That's tough, ain't it? But he's just calling it out here. The truth of the matter is, if, if you ain't suffering something from this world... There's reason to question whether or not you're a son. And then keep reading in verse 9. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But He disciplines us for our good that we may share in His holiness. Now what's He telling you in verse 10? Because verses uh, 4 through 9, I believe it is, he's basically saying, listen, God's disciplining you in this. And He's doing it because He loves you because you are His children. So be thankful for it. But then in verse 10, what does He do? Okay. Alright, so He tells you that... That's right. That's right. So... Right? That's right. All right. There you go. That's what I'm looking for. In verse 10, he says, guys, listen, here's what's going to happen from God's discipline. Because see, I, I struggle with this this evening because I'm thinking to myself, 
And I started following this train of thought. And this is where bad doctrine comes in. But I was thinking to myself, okay, what this author is telling me is that God is actually disciplining them and punishing them because they're drifting backwards. So they're being bad. And so He's allowing this suffering to come because they're being bad. That's not what He's saying. All right? And so this verse is what helped me understand this is what God is actually doing. God is allowing this suffering because through it, what's going to happen in verse 10? Somebody tell me, what's He saying right there? What does He mean by that? What is the suffering doing? Uh-huh. So the suffering actually brings out things that need to be done away with as far as sin in our life, right? Let me give you an example of that. Y'all remember Job? You remember um, Satan came to God and he said, Hey, I'm going to test your boy Job. And uh, God said, okay, you can do this, this, and this, but don't do this. And after all of it was done, did Job ever curse God? No. He didn't lose the faith. Do you notice that all of a sudden Satan disappears after the third chapter of Job, I believe it is? Satan's gone. He's not coming to God no more. He's not. But did the suffering go away? So the test has been passed as far as the test of His faith. But God allows the suffering to stay for a long time after. The suffering to the point that He cannot get any relief at all. And what happens as God allows that suffering to stay? All of a sudden, pride starts rising to the top. A pride that Job didn't even know was there. And as Job has to justify himself and his friends come and they're saying, hey, you're do God's doing this because you've done something wrong. You've done something wrong. If you'll repent and you'll confess, this will go away. But that wasn't it, was it? God was allowing this to remain because in this process, God was going through the suffering. God was going to bring to surface some things in Job's heart and some things... Job thought he was perfect. Every time he had to defend himself, he'd say, I've been a father to the fatherless. I've gave to the poor. Uh, people came inside the gates to get wisdom from me. If I could, he's the one that's wrong in this. God is wrong in this. He never cursed God. He never lost his faith. But he justified his own goodness at the expense of God's righteousness. And when he gets to the end of this thing, God finally pops up and says, Job, let me tell you a little bit about who I am. And after it's all over with, Job looks at himself. You remember what Job said about himself? I make myself sick. I abhor myself, is what he said. And I repent in dust and ashes. In other words, what happened is this pride came to the surface and then... God was able to take that pride. Y'all, you've heard it so many times before, but when people melt gold, what are they doing to it? Why are they melting that gold in the refiner's fire? All this slag comes to the top, right? And when that slag comes to the top, what does the refiner do? That's exactly what you see take place in the life of Job. What about Peter? You remember right when the Last Supper is having and, uh, and Jesus tells him, He said, all of you are going to turn away from me. You're going to leave me alone. Remember what Peter said? 
Not me. Even if everybody else leaves you, I will never deny you. And you remember what Jesus said to him? Simon, Simon, Satan has what? Asked for you to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. So in other words, we're going to let Satan have you. <laughs> and it's going to cause you some suffering. And it's going to sift you like wheat. What, is, what does it mean to sift wheat? What do you do when you sift wheat? You get the chaff off of it, right? So that the only thing that's left is the seed of wheat. That's it. Satan is asked to sift you like wheat. And he's going to get you. But I prayed for you that your faith is not going to fail. And then Peter goes out and he denies Christ three times. Curses and swears, I do not know this man. And then the rooster crowed three times. And the Bible tells us that Jesus turned and looked eye to eye with Peter. What do you think happened in Peter at that moment? He sifted like wheat. Now how many of us would have quit? I mean, let's be honest. I mean, the shame of that. But he didn't quit. He endured. And so what you see in this is that God allows suffering to take place in our life because through that suffering, the hostility that comes against us in that rises to the top. They ain't taking my guns. And again, I'm not saying there's not a time to stand up for your, for your rights. I, I understand that. But I'm just saying that it's through things like that that those impurities really come to the top. And then we get to consider Jesus, the hostility from sinners that He endured. And then we get to examine ourselves, And then we get to watch God as the refiner. Wash that stuff away and make us more like Him so that we understand that our kingdom is not of this world. So verse 10 tells us the reason why God disciplines us. First off, it's for our good, right? so that we may share in His holiness. He's purifying us. And He uses the suffering to do it. Verse 11. Here's, here we get another reason why He does it. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later, here's what it does. It yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. What does God's discipline through suffering do for us? Trains us. Trains us in the peaceful fruit of righteousness. It makes us holy so that we get to share in His holiness. So He's just given us examples of why we need to keep running, why we need to keep enduring and don't quit because this is actually discipline. You ain't even resisted to the point of shedding your blood yet. So don't give up. Don't quit. Keep running this race and just trust that God's treating you like a son. And He's removing the things that don't belong. So let it come to the surface. Let it shame you. Now that's the thing about it. This suffering is going to bring you shame because it's going to bring out things in you that are not Christian. The question is, will you recognize it? Will you confess it? Will you repent of it? And will you follow Him? 
And will you keep staying in the race and letting Him keep doing the work that He's doing in you? And then verse 12, we get some commands to follow. We get some exhortations. Alright, so here's the first thing. Therefore, because of the knowledge of what God's doing in suffering, right? Because of what we see Jesus endure. Because of the joy that's set before us. Because of all these things, here's what I'm telling you to do. Lift up your drooping hands. Strengthen your weak knees. Make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. So, here's the imagery. He wants us to run our race, right? Keep running. You need endurance. There's a race to run. That's the image you've got in your head. But what happened to some people as they've run their race? And what's happened to the hands? And what's happened to the knees? And the paths, you used to walk straight. And think about it. I mean, see the image that he's putting out here. But, put our focus back on Jesus and the hostility that He endured. Look at the fact that God's treating you like a son and that He's using this to bring to the surface things that don't belong. Look at the joy that's set before you. Look at all the people that have run their race and did it successfully. And because of all those things, therefore, lift up your drooping hands. Strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet. And here's why. So that what is lame may not be put out of joint. What does it mean? What does he say in there? That's right. And I believe that context is exactly true. I believe in the primary context he's talking about personally. That you're not put out... What it mean to be put out of joint? Who's got a King James Version? What does King James Version say right there? Be turned out of the way. So again, we're seeing here that instead of it getting worse, and instead of it making it worse for somebody else or for you, rather, if you will look to those things He told you to look to, and you'll see what the suffering does and have that knowledge in your life, you'll strengthen those drooping hands. You'll strengthen those weak knees. You'll make straight paths for those feet and instead of what's drooping and what's getting weak just finishing up because it said these knees are just getting so weak, eventually they're trying to just pop out a joint, right? Instead of that happening, rather, if you'll do what I told you to do, it'll be healed. And again, it goes back to the promise of Isaiah. Those that wait on the Lord. They're patient. They're looking to Him. They're waiting on Him. They're waiting on His promise. Those that wait on the Lord, tell me the promise again. They shall what? Renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary and they shall not faint. 
And so here you're seeing that right here. You're seeing this renewing that takes place by looking at Jesus and all the things that He tells you to do. And then finally, we've got the commands to follow in verse 14. What are the commands to follow as a result of these things? Strive for peace. With who? All right, now think about the context. What's he talking about here? In this proper context. Thank you. That's exactly right. The Christians that have been persecuted strive for peace with the ones that are doing the persecuting. In other words, when they come to plunder your goods, what are you supposed to do? What did Jesus say? If He wants to take your cloak, what do you do? I'm telling you, this is not what Christian faith teaches today, is it? But is this not what He's saying? He is calling us to a place of Christianity that is so Christ-like. Let me give you an example of it. Go with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. So that you see that I'm not just making this up. <laughs> First Peter chapter 2, right? Starting in verse 17. And we're going to go down through verse 23 just for sake of time. First Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 17. <clears throat> Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. He leave anybody out really? <laughs> Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also... To the unjust. Keep reading, we ain't done. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and you suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. And look at what this next says. Here's why it's a gracious thing. Verse 21. For to this you have been what? Called. Why? Keep reading that. That's exactly right. Because that's the exact... In other words, if a what does a Christian do? Who's he follow? Christ suffered. Keep reading. We're not done. Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in His steps. And here's His example. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth. When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but continued, and, and here's why He didn't, but continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly.
Do I, do I really got to explain that? All right, well, keep going. Let's go to First Peter chapter 3. Just for sake of time, go to First Peter chapter 3, and we're going to finish this up, verse 9. Do not repay evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, what do you do? Bless. Why? This is what it means to follow Christ. And this is tough, guys. Unfortunately, let me tell you something, you will never be able to practice this until they come to plunder your stuff. You will never be able to practice this until they are reviling you, until they're doing evil towards you. You will never be able to bless those that are doing this unless they're doing it to you. So what do you think God is going to allow if you're going to be a Christian? To this you were called. Alright? Keep reading with me. That you may obtain a blessing for... And here he quotes from the Scriptures, Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, and always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Now think about what he's saying right there. In other words, when they come to plunder your goods, when they come to persecute you, to revile you, to do evil towards you, and you bless them, they're going to have questions. <laughs> the number one question is probably, what about this hope that is in you? And now you need to be ready to give a defense for the hope that is in you. Just like Jesus said, Jesus told Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting. But my kingdom's not of this world. So my servants aren't fighting. Right? Well, and again, here, here's where we get into play. Where I don't think, I think, I think we've got to, this is where good doctrine comes in, all right? Because there are other places in the Word of God that tell us, especially as fathers, that we have a responsibility to protect our families. I'll take you back to the garden, and I can show you where God called Adam to account because he did not protect his family, but instead he allowed the serpent to come in and do this. And so how, good doctrine comes in whenever you figure out how do we... How do we both understand that we're called to joyfully accept the plundering of our things, but at the same time we're also called to protect our wives and our children or our family? And mothers are the helpmates, so again, they're called to that too. 
So I think it's a fine line between understanding the plundering of our goods and the protection of our loved ones. You see what I'm saying? Well, again, that's where you've got to take each situation. And I'm sure that just like y'all, there were many questions in this to figure out what if, what if, what if, what if. That's another reason why we have the Holy Spirit within us. And we're also to understand that for the most part, we are called to be at peace with everyone as much as is possible with us, Romans says. Sometimes it's not possible to be at peace with everyone. But good doctrine says, I can balance the two. Good doctrine says, I can balance the fact that yes, I'm called to protect my family, but I'm also called to be ready to give an advance for the hope. And this is also people that are primarily being persecuted for their faith as well. We're not just talking about somebody's just a thief is just breaking into steel. Jesus said, if the watchman of the house had known the hour that the thief was coming in, what would he have done? He'd have been ready. And so again, it's good doctrine is, is how do I balance? It's, it's not looking at one and saying, okay, I'm just going to ignore the other. Good doctrine says, how do I balance what the entire Word of God teaches on this subject? In this context, it's teaching us very plainly that as far as suffering for when we don't deserve it, especially for our faith, He's calling us to endure it the way that Christ endured it. Like, right, that's exactly right. And again, you're looking at you're, you're, you're exactly right. You're looking at different scenarios there. But again, I believe for the most part, we are at always, any way possible, we're trying to always be at peace and peaceful people with who? Everyone. As much as is possible with us. That's right. I would say the same thing. Mm -hmm. That's right. Wow. <laughs> yeah, we but but again, we're talking about balance here. Good doctrine, right? The Bible also tells us to hate what is evil and cling to what is good. So we're also supposed to stand for godly laws, and we're, we're not just supposed to sit back and do nothing, but as much as is possible with us, we're peaceful people. We give answers with, um, what did he say there in Peter? 
with gentleness and respect. Um, and, and then verse 16 of uh, 1 Peter 3, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame, but it is better to suffer for doing good than it is uh, if that should be God's will than for doing evil. And then he goes on, he tells you why. So you could finish that up. But again, what we're trying to get, a, get here is a full understanding of what this author in Hebrews is trying to say to us. And I really believe he's trying to say to these people in Hebrews and us today that seek to be at peace with everyone. Seek to. Now, does that mean that you're always going to be at peace with everyone? No. But if you're going to be persecuted for your faith, follow the footsteps of Christ. Remember, He didn't, revile, he didn't return reviling for reviling. He didn't return evil for evil. The truth of the matter is, He never opened His mouth. And we follow in those same footsteps. And as we do those things, we have to be ready to give a defense for the hope that is in us. And when we're ready to do that, you become a witness to the world as a result of it. That's exactly right. And it was for all the examples of old. It was for Jesus. Yeah, I would agree with that. All right. All right, we'll stop there and we'll pick up next week in um, verse 14. We're going to um, look at the commands that He gives us to follow in light of all the other stuff that He's talked about. So, how does this apply to you tonight? But like I said, that's good doctrine. You know, there, there's a... Um, um, there's all kind of teachers today that don't know how to, how to divide good doctrine between... Uh, the hatred of God towards sin and the anger of God and, the, and His judgment on sin and the love of God and the mercy and the grace of God. And because of that, they want to focus on the one and ignore the other. Or some people want to focus on the one and ignore the other. Good doctrine is, how do I balance both? How do I understand that the Bible says um, God hates sinners? That's right. Not that he, not, it don't say that he hates sin, but he loves the sinner. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says God hates the sinner. It's not the sin that God sends to hell, is it? And so, how do we balance that God hates sinners and yet God so what? Good doctrine says, how do I take what that says about God and how do I form the doctrine of God's judgment and God's mercy and God's wrath by looking at all of it? So again, that, that's just one example and I ain't going get to on, get on that tonight, but I mean, surely you could figure it out. But the, um, the fact of the matter is, is that you can find anything in the Word of God that you can look at just that and put so much focus on that that you're not looking at it as the whole of what the Bible teaches me about God on this matter and then forming my doctrine and my understanding 
around what the entire... That's the reason why I always tell you so much, zoom out. That's right. That's right. That's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. The number one argument for the LGBTQ people is um, uh, Jesus never said a word about homosexuality. That's their number one argument. Jesus never... Homosexuality was rampant in His day, but Jesus never said a word about homosexuality. That's their number one argument. But He did talk about sexual immorality. He did talk about the, um, uh, the design of marriage in Matthew chapter 18 and 19. No, He didn't. It's in the Bible. Jesus didn't say it. That's right. But again, that's their argument is... Was that Jesus? That's right. That's right. But again, my, again, my point is what is what Tammy was saying is they try to find one little thing instead of looking at what you're doing is right. You're looking at it and you're saying, okay, maybe Jesus never said, "Thou shalt not be a homosexual." Those words. But when you look at what He said about marriage, when you look at what He said about sexual immorality, when you look at what He said about fornication, when you look at what the entire Word of God, which is about Christ, what He said in light, when you look at all of that, then you have good doctrine. But if all you want to do, as Tammy said, is take one little thing out of this thing to try to form your understanding, your belief, and really what you're doing is just trying to justify your own, right? So again, good doctrine is not what can I find in a single verse. Good doctrine says, what can I understand about all of God's ways concerning this subject? Right? You can't argue it. Right? 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 But you know, at the end of the day, uh, your, your knowledge on that is not what's going to convert them anyway. It's, it, it, that's exactly right. And so, you know, you do the best you can, and if you can't answer it, you just can't answer it. I had somebody the other day, Somebody asked me a question, just expected that I was going, oh, Letha, yeah. Um, she asked me a question. She asked me a question Sunday morning about uh, Noah's wife. They had a, she said, where did Noah's wife's name come from? They went to the Creation Museum. Well, no, I'm not saying that. She wouldn't put me on the spot. I'm just saying that, that she, why do you think she asked me? Well, I have, and, well, and, and she thought she thought that I would know, but I only I could only do one thing. I could look back there and say I can't think of a single place in the Bible to where it gave Noah's name. And the answer was, 
I don't know. Now, so that's going to be, we can't be afraid to just stop sometimes and say, you know, I, I don't know how to answer that, but I'll do my best to look into it. And, um, and you can't be afraid to do that. Well, <laughs> it was, yeah, well, and, and I tell you what, you could go back to look at um, Luke chapter 17 at the end of it, and Jesus says why Sodom was destroyed. But it was destroyed because of the sinfulness in that place and because they refused to follow God. But instead, they wanted what they wanted, and it went to a point that God had had enough, and He destroyed it. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. All right. Listen, we can sit here all night long. If you got a question, come see me afterwards. But uh, thank y'all for your time, your attention. If I confuse you on anything, uh, come and see me, and I, I'll do my best to try to straighten that out. But um, I pray that you'll meditate on this. Go home. Open it up again. Look at it. Go back to Peter. Read it again. Figure out how you balance balance this. Think about other scriptures that have um, uh, things about this that we can look at. But the main thing here to remember tonight, stay in the race. Stay in the race. Focus on the joy set before you. Consider the one who's already endured. Consider the examples that have already endured. Um, the people that kept the faith. And then strengthen those drooping hands and those weak knees and make straight paths for your feet and quit being weary, renew your strength, get back in there, it's worth it. If you're weary, if you're tired, here's the answer. Here's the answer. You ain't focusing on the right thing. You're, you're this close to walking in unbelief. No, that's right. It's for, it's for, it's for all of us. That's right. Alright, let me close in a word of prayer. Yeah. Alright. Yeah, for the lady with the brain tumor. That's all right. All right, let's pray. Father, we come to you tonight and just want to thank you for your word. Father, um, Lord, your ways are not our ways. <laughs> Father, we... Um, you're making a new creation in us, a creation made in Your image and Your likeness in true righteousness and holiness. Father, this is hard for our flesh, man. So, Father, I just pray, God, that You would help us to, um, to rightly balance Your Word, Father, that we would be able to uh, not be confused in, in what You called us to do and not do. Father, I pray that we would trust and know that first and foremost, You have given us Your Spirit that directs our hearts. Father, and if we will keep our eyes focused on You and we'll learn from You, You will teach us. So Father, I pray, God, that You would help us to do that. Father, I pray that if there is any here tonight that are tired or weary or, um, Lord, drooping hands and weak knees, Father, I just pray that, Lord, tonight is the night that they, they put their focus back on You, the joy of Your reward. Father, I pray that they would consider Jesus. Father, I would pray that they would understand that we've not even resisted to the point of of shedding our blood yet. Father, I pray that we would not be lightweights as Jeff called it, Father. I pray, God, that um, 
Lord, we would lay aside the weights and the sins that so easily beset us and that we would run our race with endurance, God. And so, Father, I just pray tonight that, um, Lord, that we, we leave here strengthened in faith, Lord, trusting in Your promises, knowing that they are true, and that, Lord, that one day, Lord, there is a joy set before us and we will reign with You. And so, Father, I pray, God, that You would help us to to be strengthened tonight, to mount up with wings like eagles and run and not grow weary and not faint, Father. And so, Father, we just trust You tonight that um, You're going to accomplish what You sent Your Word out to do. Father, we love You. We praise You. And Lord, as we close, we pray for the young lady with the brain tumor, Father. And Lord, we just ask You, God, that as she receives this shawl, that um, the prayers of faith that have been prayed over it, that it would go with it. Father, I pray, God, that those prayers would apply to her and her situation. Father, we pray for her healing. We pray, God, that um, Your will would be done in her life. And Father, I just pray, God, that You would um, that You would not let her faith fail. If indeed she has faith, and if not, I pray You would draw her to You in faith, Father. Lord, we love You. We praise You. We ask You for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.